0: Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him and ask for his help and assistance. Almighty God, our heavenly father, it is true that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Father, would you feed us through your word and by your spirit, help us to know what we are to believe about you and what we are to do in response, uh, resting and relying upon the grace of Jesus. Oh, Father, speak, for your people have gathered to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're still in our series, Knowing for Sure the gospel according to Luke. Football season is winding down in some senses. It's winding up in other senses. The college bowl games are over. Now we're in the midst of the National Football League, the professional football playoffs. I've been thinking that it's important sometimes if you're watching a ball game on TV to pay attention to what's happening when it seems like nothing is happening. In particular, paying attention to the timeout. The timeout when the TV doesn't cut away to an advertisement or just hearing the, the commentators commenting, but actually when the camera zooms in on the sideline and sees the coach has called his players over to the sideline. And then whether it's a 30-second timeout or a 60-second timeout, he then sends them back out onto the playing field with instructions. In today's text, Luke will show us, I believe, something like that. As Jesus calls his 12 apostles to him, and then sends them out on mission. But before we get to the apostles' mission here, let's remind ourselves of Luke's mission. And we see that in the first four chapters of chapter one. Luke writes on purpose to provide certainty about the person and work of Jesus. And that certainty is not arrogance or overconfidence, but rather a humble Certainty and sureness. It's certainty and sureness about Jesus. It's okay to be uncertain and unsure about a lot of things, but Luke is writing so that his reader then and now will have certainty. He not only has a purpose, he's got a plan to write an orderly account, a narrative account that's historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well-organized, To show who Jesus is and what he came to do. Remember Jesus says he came. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. People who are lost in all kinds of ways. What does Luke want? What does God want for us through his word? He wants his reader then and now. To know for sure that Jesus is for real. Again. It's okay to be uncertain about many things, but we all need to be growing. I need to be growing in our certainty about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, and how we should respond to him. We're in Luke. It's got 24 chapters. We're just starting chapter 9 today. It's volume 1 of the two-part Luke volume in Scripture, Luke and Acts The preface, of course, is those first uh, four verses. And then there's the infancy narrative of Jesus's birth and early years. And then there's John the Baptist preaching and Jesus's qualifications for ministry. And then Jesus is revealed as his ministry in Galilee gets going. And that's where we are today. But soon, toward the end of chapter 9, with verse 51, the direction changes. It'll be Jesus's journey to Jerusalem. And then the last few chapters of Luke is Jesus in Jerusalem, where the innocent is killed and raised from the dead. So we're in the final stages of ministry in Galilee before Jesus heads to Jerusalem. Today, we're looking at, Jesus's, or at Luke's narrative account of the time in the earthly ministry of Jesus, when he sends his apostles out on mission. Chapter 9, you'll notice, begins with sending out the 12, and chapter 10 begins with the sending out of the 72. Join with me as I read the first six verses of Luke 9. And he, that is Jesus, called the 12 together. As a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Just from this passage, you can see that Christian life and ministry, church life and ministry, is not static, but dynamic. Now, whereas Christian doctrine is fixed, as it were, and stationary, Christian life is flexible and moving. In the life of a Christian and a church, there's an in and out aspect. I was hoping Tom would be here coming from California. He, he's fond of in and out burgers. And so when I was thinking of the in aspect of the Christian life and the out aspect, I was thinking of Tom and what he has told me about that great restaurant in California. Christians are people called in and sent out. This is Christian or church physics. Now, in high school, I took physics and didn't do too well. And in college, I was forced to take two semesters of physics. And it was only perfect attendance and meeting with the professor every opportunity I had that when he put the final grade He knew at least I tried very hard. This is Christian physics, church physics. Dan, if I say it wrong, correct me from on high. There is centripetal force, an inward force calling in. And then there is a centrifugal force spinning out, sending out. Centripetal coming in and centrifugal going out. You see, Christians are called in to be with Jesus and then sent out to proclaim his gospel. I was thinking as we were in lesson two of Sinclair Ferguson's The Basics of the Christian Life, growing up and going on as a Christian, or as he said earlier, coming in, growing up and going on, there's movement in the Christian life. It's not static, it's dynamic. Coming in, And being sent out. So let's look at this called in to be with Jesus aspect. Called in to be with Jesus. Um, The apostles, they were called in to a person. Not a program, not an agenda, not an activity. If you go back to chapter 5 of Luke where Jesus calls the first disciples, they're fishermen, and we read that they left everything and followed him. We see later in that chapter, Jesus calling the tax collector Levi and leaving everything, we read, he rose and followed him. If you would turn with me over to Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three, and listen to how Mark describes the calling of the men who would be appointed as apostles luke excuse me mark chapter 3 beginning in verse 13 through 15 and he that is jesus went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach And have authority to cast out demons. He called to him those he desired. That they might be with him. We read in chapter 6 of Luke that Jesus calls and he chooses. It's got to be the origin of the expression of many are called and few are chosen. Out of the band of disciples, Jesus chose 12 whom he appointed to be Apostles, and we'll talk about that. The pattern, Jesus prays, he calls, he chooses. Called to faith in a person for salvation before mission. Called in to be with Jesus and to be together with one another. Did you see that word? And he called the 12 together. 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 I I know a lot of folks who I believe have a genuine relationship with Jesus through faith, by grace through faith. I mean, they're not trusting themselves for salvation, they're trusting Jesus. And yet, they seem to think that the Christian life is a solo project it's them and Jesus. It's together. You see, Jesus, even in his calling and appointing of the apostles, he's building community. Jesus is building a church together. I often hear the expression of, um, you know, people say, yeah, I believe I'm called to ministry. I just don't want to be with people. Yeah, I love studying the scriptures. I just... I don't know how to relate to and work with people. Jesus is showing us something quite different. Together, building community. He's calling them here to be with him and to be together with one another for discipleship, for training in missions. How does a basketball player learn to play basketball? Reading a book? Well, maybe some fundamentals like take a ball, This is a basket. No, you learn to play basketball by playing basketball. How about being a chef? Read cookbooks? No. Yeah, you read cookbooks, but you really learn to be a chef in the kitchen, cooking. How about being a plumber? Read the manual? Yeah, but nothing beats the sweat and the dirt and the grime and the frustration of having a wrench in your hand and a leak that you're trying to identify and stop. A tailor, a seamstress. Read about the stitches? Read about how to measure? No, do it. I mean, a good example is this is an internship. And before internships got really popular, like every college student does an internship now, it seems. You could think of, a medical doctor, licensed, but going to have an internship to practice. They've studied. They're going to practice. You know, it's interesting that even in our denomination, we have an internship. If a man believes he's called to gospel ministry, he becomes a candidate. And he goes through an internship, licensure, and then ordination. And in our book of church order, when an applicant is approved for internship, this on-the-job training, as it were, the moderator of the presbytery offers a prayer suitable for the occasion and addresses the applicant as follows. Listen to these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the authority which he has given to the church for its edification, we do declare you to be an intern of this presbytery as a means Of testing your gifts for the holy ministry wherever God and His providence may call you. And for this purpose, may the blessing of God rest upon you and the Spirit of Christ fill your heart. Amen. That's the beginning of an internship. You see, the apostles are in an internship, they're learning from Jesus, they are watching Him perform miracles. They're listening to him teach. And now they're being prepared to put what they're learning into practice, to get, as it were, practical experience. So they're called in to be with Jesus, to be together for one another. And they are given, as we read, power and authority by Jesus They're given power, the ability, the might. Notice that unlike some leaders, whether ministry or otherwise, Jesus doesn't hoard power. He gives it to others. He also gives authority. He gives power, the ability, but now he gives authority as well, the permission The right. Jesus doesn't keep his own authority. He bestows it. He delegates it. He's multiplying his ministry with the distribution of power and authority. Those men that will go out in his name. Those who are called in to be with Jesus are then sent out to be ambassadors of Jesus representing him as they proclaim his gospel in word and deed. So it's not only being called in, but it's sent out. Sent out to proclaim his gospel in word and deed. And the very word apostle that we use is, means someone sent out. Someone sent the verb to send is apostolos. So that's where we get apostle. Apostle is one sent out in particular by Jesus. And they're sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Notice verse two. And in verse six, the same expression, but it's, it's preaching the gospel. It's always important to remind ourselves of what the kingdom of God is. It's not a geographic territory. It doesn't fly a flag. It's not an empire that you can see the boundaries on a map. The kingdom of God is God's reign and his rule. God is king. It's his sovereign dominion over the hearts of his people. Remember toward the end of his earthly life when Jesus is before Pilate, the Roman governor who is exercising power and authority from Rome. Jesus is being asked whether or not he's a king. That's what he's being accused of. And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. And he goes on in the same moment to say, My kingdom is not from the world. It's not of the world. It's not from the world. I think that's really important for us as Christians to keep in mind that the kingdom of God does not come through legislatures and laws and courts. See, it's not of this world. It's not from this world. The kingdom of God comes when rebellious hearts are subdued by the grace and mercy of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. uh, Jesus, remember, was sent himself to proclaim and to heal. Turn back with me to Luke 4. Luke 4. Jesus is in the synagogue of Nazareth. And in verse 16, we read, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent, and it was a ministry of healing and preaching, preaching and healing. There was a priority of the word, but it was accompanied by The deed, we read in chapter four, verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And after that, we see instance after instance of Jesus's wonder-working, miracle-working power, confirming the truth of his message. And so here, the apostles are being sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. They've been given power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You see, their ministry is mirroring Jesus' ministry. The, the miracles are the audio visual of the coming of the kingdom of God in power. They are signs of salvation. They don't draw attention to themselves, but they draw attention to to Jesus and his gospel to cast out demons and to heal disease and death. Just think about it. The results of sin, disease, death. And here is the beginning of the reversal of the fall, the end breaking of the kingdom. What one day it will be, you see now glimpses of things and people being restored made right it's a word and deed ministry it's heralding the gospel and healing in the name of jesus it's one of the reasons why in our denomination we have the offices of elder and deacon for those of you that remember when we ordained and installed an elder and deacons in june One of the significances of that is it helps to present the fullness of the ministry of Jesus. Ministry in word and ministry in deed. God concerned with the soul and the body. Remember, friends, we're going to get new bodies in the new heavens and new earth. God created good, sin interrupted and intervened and messed everything up. But it's going to be remade. There's a concern, a right concern for body and soul. Word and deed ministry, heralding and healing. Now, notice the manner of their mission, verses three and four. It's urgent. They were basically, he said go, and they were to go. They weren't to pack up, they weren't to take things with them. They were dependent upon God. They needed authority from him, and they needed their supply, their needs. Had to be supplied by him. It, it's a case where he says, jump, they say, how high. He says, go, and they go right now, and they have to trust in him. That the one who commands them to go will also provide for them. And he provides for them, of course, through people. So in verse 4, he said, be prepared for reception, expect hospitality. Because when people receive you and your message and your ministry, they are receiving Jesus. But also in verse 5, be prepared for rejection. Expect hostility. And when you are being rejected, as Jesus will later say, they are rejecting not you, but me. There's reception, there's rejection, there's hospitality, there's hostility. Isn't it a bit shocking? Jewish land, because they're in Galilee, Jewish land is gonna be treated as pagan land, as Gentile territory. You see, Jesus would, is saying things that Paul would one day say, that not all Israel is Israel. It's not a matter of ethnicity. It's a matter of faith in the Messiah, faith in Jesus So there's Jesus's ministry, the apostles ministry, but it's the church's ministry and mission as well, right? The church, the household of God, Paul writes, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Are there apostles in the church today? No, there's aspects of apostolic ministry. Yes. And here is how we have the apostolic ministry because we have the words of the apostles, the words of God, the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the new, God used to commit his word to writing for his people, for his church. And so what's the mission of the church? To declare the gospel as being the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes. The ministry of the word. But there's also to demonstrate the effects of the gospel. When the gospel is believed, lives change and continue to change. You don't do the gospel as much as the effects of the gospel are seen in your life. You demonstrate it. You're able to love people who, as it were, are unlovable because you have been loved. We talked about that in the adult and youth class. We love because he first loved us. God uses ordinary people in his church to advance his kingdom. He uses you, me. Thank God, it's his ministry. It's his mission. It's not all on our shoulders. None of us could bear the weight. Sometimes the best thing we can do is get out of God's way. And we've got to have the collective wisdom of the community together to know that. Now, at this stage, Luke includes some reactions to Jesus. Reactions to the ministry of Jesus. Join with me as I pick up and read verses seven through nine. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Luke stops his narrative and inserts the question directly once again. Who is this? Who is this? This is the question that's being asked at times directly and often indirectly all throughout Luke's gospel. Chapter 5, verse 21. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And remember the scene at Simon's house around the table. Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. Who is this who even forgives sins? We can't forget the disciples in the boat. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water that they obey him? Herod. Who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this? And Luke presents in his narrative three opinions. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Come back. Others say one of the prophets of old. Well, what's Herod's response to his own question? Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, the son of the infamous Herod the Great who attempted to put... Jesus to death, he was perplexed, he was unsure, he was confused, he was wondering, he was curious. He sought to see Jesus. He's asking the right question, he's interested, he's fascinated. He wanted to meet Jesus, but we know he never trusted Jesus. He met Jesus later on, but he sort of passed him on to his own death. Who is Jesus? You see, according to Luke, Jesus is more than a coach. Jesus is even more than a player's coach as some coaches are likened. I'm afraid that many of us, I have at times just seen this is telling me what to do. Looking to Jesus as, okay, tell me what to do. What are the 10 steps? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? While Jesus's ministry does have aspects of what we could call coaching, that's not what you and I need. Jesus is the son of God. He is the savior of sinners. Remember, Jesus came to save to seek and to save the lost, all kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. My friends, when you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, you will find rest for your souls. When you come to Jesus, you'll be with him and he will be with you forever. When you come to Jesus, when you come in, You'll find yourself by the mysterious and powerful working of the Holy Spirit becoming more like Jesus and being sent out by Jesus to let others know what you've been, what you've found and what you're finding in him. My friends, being called in and sent out, called in to be with Jesus and sent out to be, to proclaim his gospel is a dynamic life indeed, a life that's going somewhere with someone. My friends, may this church be, have things happening, people being called in to faith in Jesus, And people as they're being remade by Jesus, sent out to proclaim his excellencies to a lost and dying world. The Christian life is a dynamic life. The life of the church is dynamic. May God give us the ability to enjoy the life of faith. That he gives us through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that life is going somewhere. There has been creation. There will be consummation. We thank you, God, that you have promised eternal rest. You have promised new bodies you have promised a day and a time with no more tears sorrow sadness disease death oh father would you help all of your people walk by faith and not by sight as we people who have been called in to be with jesus and who are being sent out to proclaim his gospel May we be people who are continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.